Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. About to go into this, but I, I want to share with this with you. Um, I talked about this topic, I guess it was a year or two ago, and I shared some from 1 Corinthians 19 and a few other supplemental texts, and it was triggered by um, not just the questions that came in on an Easter survey, but it was also the reason why I talked about that particular topic a year or two ago was because there was a, a, some spiritual leaders that actually pastors of church, I think it was one or two during that time that um, dealt with depression for, for a long time and ended up taking their own life because they dealt with, with the darkness of depression. And, um, and so we talked about it then. Um, but, but just recently there was a spiritual leader, actually a, a friend of mine, I knew uh, down in Southern California, he was pastoring a church there, wife, children, and, uh, was actually, le- he was an advocate for those dealing with depression, was leading, a, uh, an organization to help those dealing with depression. And, uh, he just struggled with it for a long time. And, um, and this literally, this was probably a month or two ago. Uh, he ended up taking his own life, pastor of a church, uh, bright young guy, a little bit younger than myself, um, and he left behind a wife and children and a church and a spiritual family and his family uh, in the wake of a decision that he made and because he was dealing with depression and he did not he could not find freedom uh, from the depression that he was dealing with and so this is kind of a fresh topic. Some of you you probably work in, in education or tech or business or whatever that may be and so this you may not have heard about that but I know that in the pastor world the little bubble I live in you know the little church bubble that this really rocked a lot of people. As a matter of fact I'm on this podcast with some guys and we 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 uh, did a, a a podcast I think it was the first one on soul care on on how do you find emotional health if you're dealing with depression anxiety and stress and this we probably had I don't know 10,000 downloads that week because this is an issue that people are dealing with it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not I think long gone are the days where people just say in church like hey just come to the altar we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you and then that demon's going to leave and you're going to be fine well that the problem with that type of theology is that people can leave encouraged maybe in a moment, but they, they can have some of those triggers come back again and then the depression creeps back up and then they get disillusioned or disappointed by God and by the church. But I think that there's, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a different solution or, or management to the tension that uh, we as humans deal with. But this is a problem. Uh, let me remind you of this. Uh, and some of this may seem a little heavy, but again, hang on with me. Uh, we're going to get to the other side and, uh, and, and it will end on an encouraging note. So everybody say, hang on. It's going to get good. Um, but there, there are three things that I've talked about the last few weeks is when you're, you're dealing with things that go along with our emotions, with our soul, when you're dealing with things, you got to understand that there's some things that are, that are spiritual, some things that are clinical, and some things that are practical, right? And the practical things are the things that we can do. The practical things are the things that, that are within our realm of authority that we can actually be wise and make some practical decisions in our life that can help our souls prosper and be in good health. There's also, there's some clinical things. Sometimes it's not spiritual. Sometimes it's not practical. There's some people that have a chemical imbalance in in, 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 their, in their mind, in their soul, there, there's things that are, that are off that you need clinical care for. And, and we as a church, we, we say we understand that. Uh, I grew up in a church that was like, it's all spiritual. But, but, but I believe that it's, some things are practical, some things are clinical, where we need, uh, we need a professional's help with those things, maybe a counselor, maybe a, a psychiatrist, maybe 
maybe than to be on some medication. But there's also some things that are spiritual, things that only God can do. So what we do is we say this, we're going to trust God to do what only he can do. We're going to trust the medical care to do what only they can do. But we have a responsibility and an onus that we have to assume to say that there are some things that we can do. There's some things within our authority that a doctor is never going to make you do these things. And God is not going to make you do these things. But we assume responsibility uh, for the things that we do have responsibility over. And so that's really what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Here's a definition for depression. Um, here, here's what it is. They're going to put it on the screen. It is a mood disorder. I want you to listen to this. Really, really try to absorb this. It is a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. Some of you are like, what in the world is that? Listen, it's the inability to feel pleasure from the things that once brought you pleasure. It's, it's the things that like you used to enjoy traveling, but you don't anymore. You used to enjoy, you know, hanging out with your friends, but now you want to stay at home. You don't enjoy it anymore. It's, it's, you've lost the ability to enjoy pleasure from those things that once brought you pleasure. You've become numb, essentially. Uh, extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. Now, I don't know if you, if you look at that definition and you say, man, I've... I've I've experienced some of those things before. Maybe you've never put the label on you that you were depressed or in a season of depression. But when you look at that, you realize, man, that was a dark season. It was more than just dark. I was depressed. I was dealing with depression. Maybe some of you right now, you see that list and you're like, man, I I feel like there's areas of my life that look like that. And this is what depression is. It's it's that this mood disorder. Now, here's the thing. Um, one ninth, and I want, I want to read you these stats. It's only two quick stats. I'm not going to get all like statty on you, you know, but, but two quick stats. And before I read them, I want you to tell, I want to tell you, I've already said it once, but I want to say it numerous times is that I do not believe that all things are spiritual and that you need to stop taking your medication and just believe God. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I, I do believe that God uses physicians. He's given us wisdom in the medical field to be able to treat some of the things that we deal with in our life. But look at these two stats. One out of nine people are currently on depression medication. One out of nine. Look at the room. One, two, three, four, five, six. Don't start doing that, right? <laughs> but one out of nine people are on depression medication. One out of five people have been on depression medication. The point that I'm trying to make is that there's nothing wrong with being on medication. I'm just trying to show you the scope of depression as it relates to humanity is that if you're dealing with depression, you're not alone. If you've ever dealt with depression, you're not alone. You're not jacked up. You're not messed up. You're not screwed up. You're not, you don't have issues. Whatever language people have tried to label you with or whatever, uh, whatever language or labels you feel like the enemy has put on you because you've dealt with emotional unhealth or emotional sickness, listen to me. I- I'm telling you that your sickness is not a sin. And your illness is not your identity. Your sickness is not your sin. It's not a sin. It's not a sin to be sick, right? Why is it that, think about this, if we were to, to have a conversation here with, with a medical team and we were to say, hey, how many of you in here, you, you struggle with uh, some type of heart condition? And, and, you know, some of you raised your hand, right? Uh, you, you deal with high blood pressure or this, that, whatever. Uh, uh, how many of you in here, you've, you've ever dealt with uh, some kind of kidney issue or you're dealing with kid and you raise your hand? All those are organs, and if you had to go to a medical team to receive medical treatment and you even took med- medication for that, 
No one would think like, oh my gosh, you're not spiritual because you take heart disease medicine. You're not spiritual because you are going to see a doctor because your kidneys are failing. We'd say, man, you're wise, right? We'd say, man, you know what's not wise is that whenever people know there's something wrong with them, but they won't go to the doctor because of fear of what the doctor's going to tell them. That's being unwise. But why is it that the brain is an organ? Just like our heart, just like our kidneys or our liver. And when we go see a doctor, why is it that in the church and in the world, a lot of times we've, put, we've made it so taboo? And we've, made, we've put this label on it like, oh, because you deal with that, you've obviously, you, you got it. You little. <laughs> so I think my first assignment as we jump into the scriptures is just to deconstruct that idea and to say that that is not what we believe as a church. I want you to know that as a pastor of this church, that's not... What I believe is not what our church believes. And we don't look at people that deal with depression, stress, or anxiety any different from anything else. We don't. We all need Jesus. Yeah. We are all broken, and we're all broken in different types of ways. That's why we need the great physician. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need grace. It doesn't matter if you have an issue with your heart, with your mind, with your leg. It doesn't matter. We have a great physician named Jesus. And that's, come on, it's like, a couple of you are like, can I clap there? I want to clap. <laughs> Write this down. Here, here's a couple of things for you really quick before we jump into the scriptures. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to not be okay. In this topic, in the context of, of mental health, listen to me, it's okay to not be okay. But here, here's the second thing. If you're not okay, there is hope. There is hope that you can be okay. I believe that God's desire for you is that all of your life prosper, even as your soul prospers, the scripture says. That is that God's desire is that your mental health, your emotional health, that you prosper, not languish, not be weak, not be struggling, not be heavy, but that there would be, the, literally it's a picture of a flower blossoming and flourishing, that, that that would be a picture of your soul. Not dark, not languishing, not dying, not decaying, but flourishing. That is God's desire for you. The question we gotta, we got to get to first, though, as we begin to diagnose this a bit through Scripture is why, why are so many people dealing with depression? Is it worse than what it was 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago? I think doctors would say it is worse. Why is it worse? Uh, one of the things, as I've been studying this, uh, in the, the Depression Cure, it's a book. I think it's a, it's a secular book. But um, it says it's one of the things that they're discovering is that not in every case, but in many cases, depression is lifestyle related. It's lifestyle related. Some of you about to get liberated right now, okay? <laughs> Wait, I thought that was a demon. No, you just need to get away from those people, start going to the gyms. It's lifestyle related. <laughs> Now listen to me, I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want, to, I don't want to make it seem too lighthearted, but um, there's some cases that it's not lifestyle related. You can change every bit of your lifestyle and, 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 and you need more than just that. You need a greater solution. But what, what studies are showing that a lot of the cases of depression are actually lifestyle related. Uh, this is what um, they said in the depression cure. I can't say the guy's name, it's like Stephen Lardy. Lardy, how Lardy, okay? Uh, he said this, he says, Look at this. We were never designed, as humans, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. As humans, we were not designed for that. And this is the world that we find ourselves living in. 
Our lifestyles are literally rewiring our brains and ruining our emotional health. It's our lifestyles. Add to the above diagnosis, listen, cell phones and social media use, which I'm for all of them. I want an 11. Hey, let's go. Okay, cell phones, wonderful. Instagram, I'm on it. Facebook, let's do it, right? Okay. But lack of identity, inability to process pain, peer-to-peer mentoring, which basically means you have a bunch of idiots around you that are giving you counsel and advice, screwing your life up even more. I've done it. We've all done it, right? Bad voices, bad choices. We need elders and we need experts to help us. We need sages in our life, not just peers. They're like, yeah, you're right. That is, you you, you get it, okay? The narcissistic culture we live in, where we just post, 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 and we go back to it about a thousand times to see how many people are liking our posts. Listen, you have 14 followers. Who cares, okay? Who cares? Who cares? I'm actually praying right now about, about and I probably, probably I don't even have to pray about this, but I'm thinking, I should say I'm thinking about this, about just like getting rid of my social media, give it to somebody else, post on my behalf. I don't want to look at it because it's so easy to just get into this trap of like, you're just always going to Facebook and looking at all these people. It's just like, ah, oh, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but they, they lose their soul? What are you willing to give up to gain a healthy soul? I wasn't in my notes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I have a good friend of mine. He dealt with depression so bad. He was a pastor's son, Justin Richard. He dealt with depression so bad, and uh, a lot of it was lifestyle-oriented. He left the church, and he began to go into this party scene, culture, won't get into all the details, and it began to deteriorate his soul, and he felt such deep levels of shame and guilt because of it. When he was 25 years old, he met his father for breakfast and he went to a pawn shop and got a 25 millimeter, went home and shot himself. His grandmother found him at his home. And a lot of it, he, was, he had such a sense of joy when we were in high school, such a sense of peace. And maybe he always dealt with a little depression, but we didn't know it. But it wasn't until he began to plant himself into this lifestyle that began to erode his emotional health and the weight of shame and guilt he could not bear it anymore. He took his own life. Pastor Rick Warren, I would say he's America's pastor. Maybe people would say Joel Osteen, but I think Rick Warren is like, he's, he's like, he's my, like, I love Pastor Rick Warren. Purpose Driven Life is amazing. Maybe it's because Joel's in Texas and Rick's on the West Coast, the best coast. I like him the most, you know. But you know, Pastor Rick, in case you didn't know this, he's a huge advocate for, for mental, uh, mental illness because his son dealt with depression his whole life and he ended up taking his own life. And this, this, this young, young guy, even, in, in, even with dealing with mental health himself, um, he was trying to help other people with dealing with depression. And someone accused uh, Pastor Rick, uh, or accused his son, was like he was not fit to be uh, trying to do ministry to help people. And I love Rick's response. He said, in God's garden of grace, even broken trees bear fruit. So that's for somebody in here. You, you've allowed the enemy to tell you because you deal with depression, or emotional unhealth, that you're not fit to be used by God. Let me tell you, your weakness is actually, it's a tool in the hands of God. The thing you struggle with, God can actually use. Do I think that you need to focus on finding health and a great rhythm and and pace in your life? Absolutely, do that. Take care of yourself. Because the more you take care of yourself, the more God's going to use you to take care of other people. But you need to know that just because you feel broken doesn't mean that you're not useful in God's garden of grace. We're all broken. 
And we all need the grace of God. I want him to put this number on the screen. Pastor Rick Warren said when his son took his life, he said every person, every believer, every person, but specifically will say every follower of Jesus. You need to know this number in case you know someone or you yourself deal with depression to the point where you feel like maybe they're going to try to take their life or, or you've even had those thoughts. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. And uh, you need to know that number. I had a, one of my good friends called me not too long ago, and uh, one, his spouse was uh, headed, headed to the bridge and was going to jump off the bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge. And I immediately called this number, and I got on the phone, and we processed those things. You need to know this number. Um, but I want you to write this down. Suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Suicide is a permanent irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Your emotions will come in like waves. Have you ever noticed that? You'll have a wave of grief or a wave of despair, a wave of discouragement, a wave of something that feels like, I can't take this. I don't know if you've ever been at the beach before and you get hit by a big wave and it knocks you down and you're tumbling in under the water. You feel like I can, I'm never going to come up. But you know what happens? The wave recedes. And then you can get up, back on your feet. You need to know this. Your emotions are like waves. They will recede. Don't make, if the enemy has ever tempted you to, to make a permanent decision in some attempt to try to solve a temporary problem or circumstance you're dealing with, listen, the wave will recede. I think it's interesting that the scriptures say that God's, God's mercy comes in like waves, waves of mercy. Could it be that the overwhelming sense of discouragement and despair is nonstop, but what we, what we feel is not maybe the, just a recession of the discouragement, but we feel a fresh wave of his mercy? Some of you need a, a wave of mercy in your life. I'm believing that God's going to give that to you today. So the question becomes like, what does the Bible have to say about this topic? Like does, does the Bible actually address depression? It addresses a lot of things about morality and a lot of things about wisdom on decision-making and, and stuff like that. But what about depression? I would submit to you that the Bible has a lot to say about depression. Have you ever read the book of Psalms? You ever read that when you get a chance? Read Psalms 88. Read, read Psalms, I think it's 48. There, there are so many places throughout the book of Psalms. It's like, God, where are you? I can't hear you. Have you turned your face away from me? Have you abandoned me? I wish all my enemies would die. I wish I would die. That's the book of Psalms. Like, that's what it looks like. It's lamenting. It's crying out from a cave. It's, it's discouragement. It's despair. The Bible does not shy away from this topic. I, I think about even, even the guy that we're going to study, Elijah. This guy was one of the greatest, if not the greatest spiritual leader of his day, Elijah. The greatest spiritual leader in Israel of this day. In chapter 18, think about this. Talk about, talk about super like powerful spiritual. This guy prays. He's in this competition between the prophets of Baal, 500 men and himself. The prophets of Baal are saying that their God is the one true God. And Elijah's saying, no, no, no. The God of, uh, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's the one true God. And they said, okay, let's, let's fight this out. You pray to your gods. I'm going to pray to my God. And whosoever God brings fire down on the altar, then uh, we're going to say that that's the one true God. God. Cool? Ready for the competition? Like, I would not want to be in that competition, right? The prophets of Baal, they pray and cry out to their God, their false God, Baal, all day long, cutting themselves, crying out, and there's no response. Why? Because it's a false God. Elijah prays one simple, small prayer to the one true God, and fire falls from heaven on a sacrifice that was made in that moment. That's a pretty big deal. How do your prayers look? Okay? <laughs> Brother can pray fire. One time he prayed for rain to stop. 
when they prayed for rain to go. This guy, he was a powerful spiritual leader. Chapter 18 is one of the highlights. It's like on the highlight reel of his ministry, calling down fire in that moment, prayer, defeating the prophets of Baal. All 500 of these prophets were executed because of how they were trying to lead the people of God astray. All 500 executed. Highlight. The very next chapter, the very next chapter, he gets so discouraged, so defeated, so depressed, he runs to a, br- a broom tree, which is really, it's, a, it's like a juniper tree, and the, the roots of a juniper tree, they're, they're of a, br- a broom brush, they're actually toxic. If you were to eat it, you would die. It's toxic. He runs, and he gets underneath the tree at a brook, and he begins to pray, and he begins to cry out to God out of his depression. One of the highest of highs, right after it comes one of the lowest of lows. I've discovered that to be true in my life. You need to understand this. Sometimes you need to be careful, you need to watch. I'm gonna tell you to be like all, all like, you know, paranoid. But sometimes when you get one of the highlight moments of your life, you need to watch. The enemy will try to come in and try to discourage you. He'll try to come in and knock you down. It's happened to me over and over again. We could have a great day on an Easter Sunday here at church, and that evening, it just feels like waves of discouragement. A couple of weeks ago, we had our team night right downtown. It was a beautiful moment. It was powerful. The place was packed with people. Man, we just declared that God, man, he reigns in our city. That night, all night long, I had one of the most discouraging nights, and the enemy, I felt this spiritual attack coming after me. I don't understand it, but the enemy does not like it. When you take ground, he wants to take ground back. And Elijah has the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He's so low, he's so discouraged, he goes and he prays and he asks God, God, will you just kill me? He's ready to die. I'm going to show you this in scripture. He says this, now Ahab told Jezebel. Jezebel is the queen of Israel at this time. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, previous chapter, chapter 18, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this. So a message comes to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, one of the prophets. What is she saying? She's like, I'm making a commitment that tomorrow you can just bank on this. You will die. I'm going to make sure that you get killed. He has just seen 500 false prophets defeated. And now he's letting this one lady intimidate him by a message that she sends to him. And he begins to believe this lie. Which, by the way, when you begin to study her fate, just not too long after this, she's sitting on a windowsill at the top of the palace and she's challenging another, another person. And that person down at the, at, on the ground looks up at, at, at her and at her men and says this, her servant says, hey, who's on the side of the Lord? You on Jezebel's side or, or on the side of the Lord? All of her people throw her to her death out the window to the ground. That's how defeatable she was. That's how weak she was. She had, a, she had a facade of strength. How many know that the enemy has a facade of power and strength? He is defeated. He is the defeated one. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. That is who we are. But why is it that we let the enemy deceive us and defeat us with his lies? She sends this lie, and he begins to believe it. And so it says this. It says, so Elijah was afraid, verse 3, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. You should make note of that. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than 
my ancestors. Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you the problem before I give you the solution. One of the problems, one of the reasons why we start spiraling down into a dark place, call it despair, discouragement, depression, whatever you want to label it as, one of the, one of the starting points is toxic thinking. Is either the enemy brings a lie to us and we believe it, or we just lie to ourselves and believe it. Either way, we start believing something that is not true, and then we start to ruminate on that thought, and it sends us to a dark place. You know what ruminating is? It's, when, it's what a cow does. A cow will eat grass, chew it up, swallow it, and then vomit it back up, and then chew on it some more. Does that make you hungry for lunch? Swallow it, spit it up again. That's what we do with our thoughts many times. We chew on a thought that's a lie from the enemy, something that we've lied to ourselves about. We chew on it. We, we let it get down into our soul. That's where the darkness comes. Then we regurgitate that thought and we chew on it more and more. And we find ourselves in a toxic place because we had a toxic thought that we ruminated on. It's toxic thinking. So first thing you just need to know, that, that is what he does. He gets to this place where he believes the lie of a messenger that came to him, and that's where it all started. So what do you do with toxic thoughts? I'll tell you, this is going to be so practical. I'm going to tell you exactly what you do with toxic thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, we can, somebody say we can. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through Break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, look, it's talking about your thoughts. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one, Jesus Christ. What is that saying? You have in Christ, you have authority over your thoughts. You're not a prisoner to your thoughts unless you choose to put the shackles on and close the door and ruminate. You actually have authority over your thought life. You can take authority over it. Philippians 4 says this, we not only fight off the thoughts, but we fix our focus. We read this, I think, a couple weeks ago. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice you don't flip on a switch to get peace. You just simply fix your focus on what is true, what is praiseworthy, excellent. So what do you do? You fight off, you take authority over those thoughts. That, that's a lie. That is not from God. That is not, that is not true, and you take captive that thought, and then you fix your thoughts on things that are true, on things that are praiseworthy, on things that are excellent. First thing that he did wrong was he started getting, getting in his head. Toxic thinking. Sometimes you're too weak to determine if it's a lie or if it's true. You need to have the right relationships around you. And you need to trust them enough for them to say, Jason, that's not true. That's not true. That's a lie. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that, Jason. You need to have the right people around you. Which leads me to the second thing he did. He left his servant and he ran by himself a day, a whole day away from where anyone could find him. He disappeared for, a, for at least a day because no one could find him for a day. He isolated himself. That's the second thing. You want, you want to perpetuate depression and darkness? Just go ahead and isolate yourself. Just go ahead and separate yourself from your church, separate yourself from your family, from your friends, from your support group, from life-giving relationships. Just go ahead, separate yourself. Anytime I've ever found myself in a dark place, I, a lot of, almost every time, I can trace it back to, I stopped telling everyone what I was thinking or feeling. Now you can't tell everyone everything, but you better have someone you can tell those things to. You better have a safe circle that you can say, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling. Because you're only as sick as your secrets. 
And if you're not telling someone those secrets, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling dark. I'm feeling like I want to give up. If you don't have anyone and you isolate yourself and you find yourself, figuratively speaking, a day journey away from anyone, totally closed off, trapped in your own thoughts, in a toxic place, it'll get darker and darker. The second thing he did was this. He said this, he said, uh, he came to the broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, he said. He's, he's talking about his feelings. He started following his feelings. You want to get into a really dark place? Just follow your feelings. That's why people take their life, because they're letting their feelings lead them. I could not imagine. I could not imagine letting my feelings get such control of me that I took my life and I took my son's father away from him, my wife's husband. I cannot imagine that. I know that people have done it. My heart goes out to them. But the reason why people get to that place is because they isolate themselves. They get stuck in their head. And then they start making decisions based on what they're feeling, not what's true and not about who they really care about. Don't follow your feelings. I love this. Psalm 119 says, truth's shining light guides me in my choices. Notice how he's guided, not his feelings, but with truth. Guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. One of the greatest things you can do if you're dealing with depression and darkness is this right here. You need the truth of God's word. When you feel shameful and guilty and condemned or you feel like there's no hope, you start reading the words of life. When you feel like you're in a dark place, I'm telling you what, there have been so many times in my life I almost gave up. But if it weren't for the word of God, I wanna encourage you, don't let your only time you're feasting on this be on Sundays. I know you're probably like, I hear pastors say that all the time. It's because it's true. Right? You gotta get this. Next thing he did was it was a comparison trap. He says, he says, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He's comparing his life to other people. I found this to be so true. You want to get depressed? Start looking at their house. Start looking at their job. Start looking at how many kids they have and you don't have one yet. Start looking at their money and you ain't got none. Start looking at how many followers they have and you have 14. <laughs> You're like, I just came back. Yeah, you know, just bring it back. Wheel that back. Right? It goes on, and I won't read it for the sake of time, but read, read verses 5 through 19 when you get a chance. It's the solution. First thing that happens, he takes a nap, and he gets fed. Some of you and me, I'm going to give you freedom. Take a nap today. <laughs> Revelation from the Lord. Here's the point. Get healthy physically. A lot of times the issue mentally and emotionally is because physically we're, we're not in a good place. We're not taking care of ourselves. You know, I broke my ribs a couple, a couple months ago. It's terrible. Worst thing ever. I went back to my gym, uh, Orange Theory, don't judge. Um, on Friday, me and 39 women. That's it. I'm the only male there. Very secure. Very secure. I tell you what, though, man, I'm up there working it. Bah, 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 bah. Just, you know, I left that gym. I felt like my soul felt better. Now my hamstring's about to die right now. I feel like somebody needs to take me to the ambulance right now, care of the ER. But I, I, I was telling Elton, I was like, man, I just feel better. I just feel like I just felt better just getting back into the gym. Why? It just, it, it does something. I'm telling you, eat healthy, work out, exercise, get healthy, sleep better. Stop going to bed, binging on Netflix till three in the morning and trying to wake up at 6 a.m. talking about, oh my God, I'm so tired. You should be. 
You watch 37 episodes of whatever. Second one is he did this. God brought him into a cave. And read it when you get a chance. God brings him into a cave to encounter his presence, the presence of God. See, watch this. In his depression, he was isolating himself. But there's a difference between isolation and being in solitude with the Lord. Isolation is to go and to ruminate and to throw a pity party and to victimize. But, but solitude is a place where you get alone with the Lord. And that's where you find victory. There's something different there. You're not running to hide. You're running to receive. He goes into the cave and he begins to pour his heart out to God. And he just starts saying, God, I I feel like I'm the only one. And he's being honest with God. Listen to me, some of you, I just want you to know God can't handle. If you get nothing else out of this collection of messages, this you know, like God can handle you being raw with him and being real. He can handle you. He can... He can handle you if, you if you have one of those moments where you want to yell and curse. Do you think God is big enough to handle your little curse word? <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe that she just said that. I'm done. Like, that's not God. Uh, he's not coming to heaven. He just said that. He just, he just told me this. Listen, God can handle your doubts, your anxiety, your stress. He can handle all of you. And I would submit to you that he loves all of you. He loves you. Pour your heart out to God. I don't have time for these other scriptures, but the third thing he did was he experienced the presence of God. He experienced God's presence in that cave. And then the word of God comes in a whisper. He whispers into his situation. He begins to speak. And then the fourth thing he did was he gave him purpose. He gave him a new purpose. He says this, Elijah, I want you to get up. So you get your, get your focus off yourself. Here's, listen to me. Here's one of the reasons why we deal with depression is we become self-focused. We think about what we don't have, what we can't do, what's been done to us, and we turn inward. That's why God's solution to him after receiving, after resting, after getting a word from God, experiencing the presence of God, he gave him purpose. He said, I want you to go and anoint Elisha. Isn't that amazing? He says, Elijah, stop focusing on yourself and focus on somebody else. He gives him a fresh new purpose and direction for his life. He goes out and and the the whole script changes, the narrative changes with Elijah. I wanna encourage you to do this. If you're dealing with depression, you're dealing with discouragement or you feel worthless or hopeless or whatever, get your eyes off yourself. Start serving some people. You can join our dream team or don't. Just go and do something to turn outward towards other people and to love and to bless other people. Get a fresh purpose for your life. Let me read you this last scripture. Earlier we said, if you're not okay, there is hope. But I would submit to you, if you're not okay, there is hope and your hope is in Jesus. It's not just in you trying harder. It's not just in you going to a doctor. Do all those things. Go to a doctor, get some rest, work out, all those things. But what you need is you need Jesus to do for you what only he can do. The prophetic word in Isaiah 61 about Jesus was this, when he comes, Here's here's what he's going to look like. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is why Jesus quoted this in the New Testament in Luke when he declared who he was as the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. But in Isaiah, it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of, of our God, to comfort all who mourn, look at this, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow or to give, to place on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair or heaviness or depression. One of the things Jesus was anointed to do and came to do, watch this, was to, to remove from you the garment of heaviness, the spirit of heaviness or discouragement or depression, to take that off of you and to give you a garment of praise. Instead of having this walking around with your shoulders down and your head low and you're just depressed and negative and it comes out when people ask you how you're doing and instead of that, listen, God wants you to have this spirit of praise. He wants you to have this spirit of, of joy, about the oil of, of joy or the oil of gladness. You know what that is? Anointing oil. I grew up in a Pentecostal church when I was young. They, listen, we were wild, okay? I'm not Pentecostal anymore. I just love Jesus. But they were wild. And they would anoint people with oil, like olive oil. And they would put that on as a sign of the Holy Spirit anointing them. It was a symbol, a symbolism, powerful. You know what I discovered about oil? When it gets on you, it's hard to get off of you. You, get, you ever spill some oil on a shirt? You ain't getting that off. You ever spilled some oil on a pillowcase? You're not getting it off. God wants to put, put the oil of gladness. He wants to put the joy of the Holy Spirit on us that is not easily rubbing off, that's not easily removed by a circumstance or a situation. He wants to anoint you with that. Let me illustrate it with this. I got this idea at the last minute, so sorry. Some, some of us, I think a lot of times, we go around and we wear, because he says, I'm going to give you a garment of praise. We wake up in the morning and we put this on. It's not just that the enemy is putting on, can you see it? It's depression. I can't fit in this jacket or I try. And I'm depressed about it. I'm kidding. I, I do think that, that depression can be clinical and medical. And some people, they're trying the best to get to not wear that. But I think some of us, because of the decisions that we make daily, the choices that we make with our lifestyle, the choice that we just make in the morning, like we're choosing not to be happy. When I'm not gonna spend time with God this morning, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, and we walk out our door wearing this every day. You can wear a different shirt, but you put this on, this garment every day, and the people around you see it and they know it. Your spouse knows it, your kids know it. And you wear depression like a cloak. But Jesus says this, he goes, you know what? Instead of a, a spirit of heaviness, which by the way, he calls it what it is, it's a spirit. It's not just an emotion and a mood. It's a spirit that will attack you. He says this, I'm going to give you, I can fit in this. Shut up. I'm going to put this one on. Oh, yeah. Denim on denim. This is the Northwestern tuxedo. Man, I look good. I ain't going to lie. I'll pop that collar because I'm 81. I'm born in 81. You know what I'm saying? 80s kids. Where are my 80s folks at? Hey. But he says this. He goes, I want to, I want to remove the spirit of heaviness, spirit of depression, discouragement, despair. And he goes, in place of it, watch this. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you peace. He says, I want you to put on praise. I think a lot of times we want peace instead of depression. But listen, you can't put on peace. 
You can only receive peace. But the way that you can receive peace is by making a decision that though I have these circumstances in my life, I am going to put on praise today. I'm gonna to praise him for who he is. I'm gonna praise him for what he's done. God, I know my circumstances don't look good. I know the situation doesn't look good, but God, I praise you because you're faithful, God. I praise you because you're my healer, God. God, I praise you because you're loyal, God. God, I praise you that you're my, may my way maker, God. I praise you that, God, you keep every promise that you make, God. I praise you every day. You can put on a garment of praise. This isn't hype, this is Bible. This is scripture. See, praise is a choice. Depression, it is a choice for you. And will peace come? I think that's only on God. You, you have a responsibility to put on praise, to lift your head towards heaven and to say, God, I praise you because of who you are. I celebrate you because of who you are, God. And I promise you this, that what God will do when we make a choice to put on praise by the Holy Spirit, peace will come. And if you don't get peace, don't stop praising. Don't stop praising. Don't stop praising. Don't stop praising. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you're dealing with. Don't stop praising. I don't care what the diagnosis is. Don't stop praising. Our responsibility is to praise Him. Amen? Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.